You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Good morning to you all. Nice to see you all today. We're going to open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. I pray that you've been encouraged already by our sweet time together as the representation of the body of Christ here at Hope Oakville. Matthew chapter 6. Our sermon title today is Hypocrisy or Holiness? Hypocrisy or Holiness? That question might get your attention. Let's make it more personal. Um, Is my life hypocritical? Or is my life pursuing genuine holiness? Let's make it even more real, maybe even more simple. Let's just ask this question Am I fake or real? Am I fake? Or am I real when it comes to the things of the Lord and who I present myself to be when people are watching? Am I fake or real? It's a penetrating question. I pray that the Lord will um, uncover more layers than maybe even now that we would see as we go along. See, our passage today reveals that Jesus will not let the matter of the heart go. He just won't. Jesus keeps hammering the issue of the heart and is going to continue all the way through to the end of his sermon as we reach the end of chapter 7, Lord willing, later on this year. I want to make you aware that so far Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, he has systematically hit each spiritual public practice that was being abused for self-glory. That's what he's done so far in chapter 6. He's systematically hitting all the big spiritual public practices that was being abused for the praise of man as opposed to the praise of God. So if we remember, he dug down in giving. That's the first part of chapter 6. He shines a light on prayer. And then today now, he's going to expose false fasting. He's going to expose those who are playing the game of external fasting, but inwardly, it has nothing to do with God, has everything to do with them. In each case, here's the bottom line for Jesus as we go through these passages again together. Here's the bottom line. Self-glory, self-glory is temporal, fleeting, useless, dumb, not to mention sinful. self Glory, listen to this, is the root of hypocrisy. So when you see someone who is hypocritical at the root of their hypocrisy is self-glory, self-righteousness, the desire to exalt or esteem self. So once again here right now, I'm excited for this. Some of you are nervous about this. I get that. I can be that way too. But I'm excited right now. Jesus is going to put the heart of us on the operating table. And he's going to perform surgery once again because he's looking for the pure heart. He, he can't stand the fake heart. His, his harshest rebukes come for those who are pretending and are fake and presenting externally but are corrupt internally. He's performing surgery. He's looking for the pure heart. Why? Why? Because it's the pure heart that is motivated by love for the Father. It is the pure heart that is driven truly to give glory to God. It is the pure heart that is moved and finds their incentive by the heavenly reward that is to come. So the pure heart's everything. 
Blessed are the pure in heart, Jesus says, as we went through way back in Matthew 5, for they shall see God. So the fake heart will not see God. Blessed are the pure in heart. Happy are the pure in heart. Favorite are the pure in heart. For again, they shall see God. Let me say this too as we begin our passage today. Fasting is the subject, but don't be mistaken, the heart is the goal. I'll say that several times today. Fasting is the subject, but the heart is the goal. Matthew 6, look at verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. Hey, girls, you guys were awesome today in the baptism tank. So thankful for you. That's so wonderful. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. So proud of you. So proud of you. So good. So good. I was blessed. May the Lord bless you. Matthew 6, verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, listen, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, Notice, but by your father who sees, your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So let's start here today. Let's start here today. Number one, the fake heart leads to false fasting. The fake heart leads to false fasting. And look at verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. So within the Jewish calendar, there were specific fasts that were to be observed. For example, the Day of Atonement. With the Day of Atonement came the command to fast or the Jewish New Year. These are examples of special days in the Jewish calendar that would include fasting. Fasting might also be called for times of desperation. Uh, Many times in Scripture, let's say there was a serious time of drought, and God's people would fast before the Lord in their desperate time uh, of need. I just happen to be reading through the book of Esther in my Bible readings right now, and just this week in the book of Esther, when it was um, proclaimed by Haman before the king, and Haman sought to completely annihilate every Jew in existence... That was his hatred for the Jewish people. And then Esther and Mordecai, they both declare a fast among Esther, Mordecai, and all of Esther's servants. They are desperately in need to see God save them from this predicament of Haman who wants to exterminate all the Jewish people in existence. That's a powerful example of the call for fasting and prayer in times of desperation. Fasting was also used in scripture for times of serious brokenness or repentance or intercession before the Lord. Sackcloth and ashes, when it was sincerely in that way, broken before the Lord, denying the flesh, seeking God to hear the prayers, to increase the spiritual fervency that was within. So fasting can be a very powerful way to deny the flesh, to replace it with a hunger for God. But here's the thing, as is always the temptation, always the temptation, 
The human heart in its evil has such a propensity to take what was meant for the pursuit and glory of God and turn it into the praise or glory of man. The human heart is just so evil and wicked. That's chapter six so far. Jesus is like, hey, when you give, don't do it for you so people will praise you. Do it in secret so you know it's about the Lord. When you pray, don't do it so people praise you. Pray. I mean, how can prayer be about praising us? It's insane. But that's what the human heart does. And now fasting. Don't fast so they see you. Fast as you mean it before the Lord because you genuinely seek him. So fasting was a spiritual discipline when its impurity was meant for self-denial resulting in spiritual fervency. What was happening here, it was being turned into a show of self-righteousness. It's interesting, the Puritans, who were wonderfully strong pursuers of the Lord and very, very just precise with their theology, the Puritans referred to fasting as soul fattening. Now think about that. I haven't heard that until this week. I love it. Fasting, they called, was soul fattening. It was the increase, the enlarging of the soul before God, which we should all want desperately. The Pharisees here in chapter 6, they were using fasting for head enlarging or pride growing. That's what they were doing, though. They were taking the sacred spiritual discipline to make their heads bigger and to attract more attention from other people and their sinful pride. We do not want to be those people. So we see in verse 16, Jesus says, do not look gloomy. Isn't that interesting? Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, the actors, those on stage and performing, for they disfigure their faces. What does that mean? So what would happen here is that people who were fasting, who wanted others to know that they were fasting, they would walk around with a very sad and gloomy expression on their face. There's people like that, right? There's people walk around and they have an expression on their face. Maybe we can all do our best gloomy facial expression. Maybe turn to your neighbor and do that right now. Go ahead, go ahead. Turn to your neighbor. What does gloomy look like? Come on back. Let's do it. Let's do it. It's something like, you know, like walking around, woe is me, you know, Eeyore all the time, right? So, they, so you're intentionally trying to draw attention because you're like, meet people are like, hey man, are you okay? They're like, no, I'm not okay at all, right? Why? Because I'm fasting so much. And, uh, and that's what the people were doing. They had gloomy expressions upon their faces. What they would also do is they would cover their heads with ash and with dirt. So in this sense, it would be an unmistakable way of communicating they were in a season of fasting. Now, there's a deliberate wordplay here used in verse 16. Because the word disfigure also means unrecognizable. So, listen to this. The Pharisees, or those who are religious hypocrites, they would render themselves unrecognizable with dirt and ash all over them for the sole intention of being recognized. See, that's the evil of the human heart. Just pause for a second and just apply it to your heart and life. I need to do this all week and right now. In the different ways, we render ourselves unrecognizable because the very thing we want is to be recognized. That's the wickedness of what's happening within this text. And and, and listen, this is what Jesus condemns the most. It's the fake heart that Jesus is going after because it's the fake heart that leads to false fasting. It's the fake heart that leads to hypocrisy. 
It's the fake heart that leads to being rejected by the Lord. So in this case, right, with this context here, fasting for the Pharisees here, the religious leader, their fast was a joke. It was a joke. It was all about them. It was rooted in self-righteousness, self-promotion, and self-glory. Again, just as it happens, I was in my Bible readings this week. One of the other places I was at is Matthew 23. I just love when things come together. Matthew 23, Jesus says that he saved his uh, harshest rebukes for these type of people. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful. The external thing, you got it going on. But within, you are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. Verse 28, though, really, really got my attention. This is also serious. He says this. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within, you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. That's the condemnation. That is a a fantastic parallel passage right now with Matthew chapter six. Outwardly you appear amazing, but inwardly you're corrupt. Inwardly you're hypocritical. Inwardly it's not real, it's a joke. So it's easy, it's easy to read Matthew six or Matthew 23 and to be like, oh man, those Pharisees, what a, what a disaster. Wow, God, I'm so glad I'm not like them. So glad I don't have any of those issues in my life. It's easy, and I feel it too. You're just like, man, they're so messed up. How could they be that way? But let's be wise enough right now to turn to ourselves. Let's put our hearts on the table for a few moments. And let's ask the question, where does hypocrisy and self-righteousness creep in or manifest in our lives? How about this question? Where are we in danger today of, of self-glory? Where are we in danger today of self-glory? By the way, by the way, the person of wisdom, okay? One of the ways you know that you're growing in the wisdom of God, one of the ways you're growing more like Jesus Christ, and this is, it seems counterintuitive sometimes, but one of the ways you best know you're actually growing the Lord Jesus Christ, the heart you'll be most suspicious of in this life is your own. The person who is truly growing in Christ, the first heart that they are most suspicious of is the one, again, closest to them. Because you understand you cannot trust your own heart and you are wanting and consistently seeking to get your heart on the table. Search me, God. Know me, God. Try me, God. Reveal the sin that is within because you are terrified of that sin blocking the power and favor of God flooding your life. So wisdom isn't looking to blame everyone else or to search everyone else. Wisdom starts with an examination of your own heart. As we go through this process right now too, loved ones, it's not if I have issues with this, it's where are the issues? Where does self-glory exist for every single one of us? How about some examples of application? How easily we serve throughout the church but we are really communicating as we do. Look at me. Look at me. How easily we have a role of teaching. But we are really seeking to impress others with our extensive knowledge. Look at me. How easily we stand on the stage and sing songs of Christ's glory. But really our motivation is to seek our own glory. Look at me. 
How easily we seek positions of leadership where the true goal behind this is status, prominence, and respect. Look at me. How easily we keep mentioning our kids, hoping others will recognize what amazing parents we are. Look at us. Look at us. How easily we criticize and judge and demean others. But in reality, we are jealous and envious of the attention that they receive. Don't look at them, look at me. How easily we perform a public display of spirituality. But in reality, it's rooted in self-righteousness. Now, because this is evidently such an important theme to Jesus, like the way he's taking us through chapter six, I think it's wise we don't rush through it. I think it's wise we seek to, again, examine our hearts and listen to the voice of the Lord. Because Jesus is hammering self-righteousness, he's hammering self-promotion, and he is hammering self-glory. Why does he do this? Why is Jesus so concerned with self-righteousness and self-glory? Here's why. Because it's these sins, probably more than any other, that kills the heart. It is the love of self that kills the heart for Jesus Christ. It is the worship of self that puts a huge obstacle and blockage to the power of God flooding my life. Self-righteousness rooted in pride is devastating again for all of our lives. This is why Jesus was after so much, man, because it's the blinding nature of self-righteousness that, listen, was the fundamental sin that blinded the religious leaders from seeing Jesus Christ. Like, always remember, right? The Pharisees and scribes, religious leaders, they were staring Jesus in the face. Like, they had the opportunity to look in the face the very Son of God. They talked to him. They met with him multiple times. They listened to him, but they could not see him. Tragic. Ever wonder what you and I would be like if we had the chance to actually come face to face with Jesus walking here on earth and heard his teaching? What would our response be? They were so fundamentally blinded by their self-righteousness, they could only see envy towards Jesus, hatred towards Jesus, and they wanted to kill Jesus because they were so proud and so filled with self-glory. Even Pilate, when they're all shouting, crucify Jesus, Pilate, it says in Mark's gospel, he saw it was out of envy that they wanted to kill them, kill him. Self-righteousness, self-glory, self-promotion, devastating sin. By the way, the, the two greatest reasons people don't receive Jesus Christ as their savior is pride and unbelief. And those go pretty close together. What our society says now, our society says, why would I need God? Why would I need God when I am God? That's what our society is now saying. For the first time, at least in this nation, as a society, we're starting to say this. We don't need God. We are God. I don't need God. I am God. And that's the devastation of Satan's blinding power and the temptation of self-righteousness and self-glory. So again, not to rush through this, and I pray that we can appreciate that today as difficult as it is, but it's also very, very encouraging too, because again, I want to see my sin. I don't enjoy it, but I do. You know what I'm saying? 
Um, I want to see what is in the way of my affection for Christ. I want to see what's in the way of being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Here are some symptoms of self-righteousness and self-glory. Just want to go through these slowly. Holy Spirit, speak to us, lead us, help us. Symptoms of self-glory. These are, these are just a few. I speak a lot, but I listen little. It's not like talking's wrong, but if I'm always talking, especially about myself, why? Why? You know those people, when you're trying to say something and they keep interrupting because they just want to say what they want to say, and you're like, do I ever get a chance to talk ever? And when they talk, it's just really about themselves? That's a symptom of self-glory. I critique others, but I can't handle criticism. I want to put others down. Don't you dare do it to me because it's all about me. But I can make sure you feel garbage about yourself, but don't try to do that to me. Why? Well, that's pride and self-glory. I am overly controlling and I can't delegate. I am overly controlling. I have to be in charge. I'm not able to humble myself. Why? Why do we have to be in control all the time? What's behind that? Ever thought about that? What's behind the need to be in control all the time? Well, I know best. I'm the smartest. I can do it. I'm the strongest. Or we're just full of ourselves. Because when we're in control, this is when we feel, whatever, most important. Holy Spirit, help us. I struggle to recognize other people's success. Why do we struggle to recognize and rejoice in other people's blessings and success because we are jealous and envious over that success because we want it to be about ourselves. Symptoms of self-glory. I care deeply about other people's opinions because my reputation is massively important. So I have to try to manage that as much as I can. And I care so much what people say because I rise and fall based on what people think of me because it's all about me. I experience little gratitude. See, when it's about our glory, about our self-righteousness, I'm not thankful for things outside of me because it's not, it's not about me if I do that. I'm thanking someone else. Gratitude is very, 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 very powerful and very, very important to God. I'm self-reliant and self-dependent. I just don't need others and I don't need God because I'm self-sufficient. That's a symptom of self-glory. I'm unwilling to serve in low positions because I'm better than that. I'm not going to lower myself to places I don't belong because that wouldn't, that wouldn't match kind of how I'm wired or it wouldn't match my level of importance. I'm not willing to serve because the glory should be going to me. But maybe I will serve if I get more glory. You know, that's the, that's the wickedness of the heart. I'm often filled with envy or jealousy. Envy and jealousy, eh? Killers, killers. But notice, self-glory is the root of envy. Self-glory is the root of jealousy. Now, one more symptom that's not on here right now, okay? But if you look at this list and you're like, nope, none of that applies to me. That is a guarantee you struggle with self-righteousness, all right? All right? Like, make sure, like, honestly, though, if some of you are here right now, and you can go through all of this, and you're like, no, I'm good. I'm like, you're not good. 
You are not good. And there might be some honestly here that you think that. That is, that is the telltale sign that self-righteousness floods your life. Every single one of us should not be, if this applies, where does this apply in my life? This hurts, but I love it. Make sense? God, search me, try me, know me. See if there be any grievous way within me because I do not want to be a fake heart involved in false fasting. Here's one more quote just before we move on from this section. Jonathan Pennington said this. I found this to be penetrating. The desire to have others reward one with praise for piety is a powerful drug. Just look at that. Again, it's the human heart taking what's supposed to be so good and righteous and turning it into unrighteousness. The desire to have others reward one, me, us, for praise, with praise for piety. That's a powerful drug. It's a powerful temptation. It's something we must be very careful of. We experience a frequent addiction to the praise of man. And that's our society. I mean, that is the majority of social media and celebrity and entertainment and business. All, I mean, it's amazing how much addiction there is to the glory of man. Now, I want to say this to where we are. If you're here right now and you are convicted, praise God. But here's what's so important, okay? Here's what we have to do right now. And I had to do this week and I have to do this today too. What do you do with your self-glory? What do you do with your self-promotion? What do you do with your self-righteousness? Here's what you do. You apply the gospel. Bring your self-glory to the Father. Like right now, in repentance, bring your self-glory to the Father. You know, it's almost like this week as I was going through repentance in my own heart of self-glory, self-promotion, self-righteousness. As I bring that, I'm almost like embarrassed. Like, Lord, I can't believe I have to say this to you. In my temptation, the Satan comes in and says, man, he's gonna mock you. He's gonna turn you away. He's gonna reject you. He's like, are we really, are we really still doing with this, Robbie? Really? But he doesn't do that. That's a lie from hell. He doesn't turn us away. He doesn't laugh at us. He doesn't mock us. He doesn't scorn us. He doesn't reject us because in his son, Jesus Christ, he forgives us for every single sin we ever commit, past, present, future. So the reality is you bring yourself glory to the father. He says, I will take that. I will cleanse you. Listen, you bring yourself righteous to the Lord right now. He will love you. He will forgive you 100% of the time, cleanse you and prepare you now to be used more as you go forward through repentance and faith and trust in the forgiveness found in Jesus Christ the Lord. Bring the Father yourself glory right now, loved ones, right now. Approach the throne of grace with confidence, knowing we'll find help and receive mercy in our time of need. Apply the gospel. He loves you. And he forgives you and me, no matter what sin we bring to the table. Because he loves a pure heart. And he's the one who makes pure hearts. The fake heart leads to false fasting. Secondly, the pure heart leads to genuine godliness. Look at verse 17 now. Jesus says, but when you fast, not if you fast, 
When you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others. Again, the subject is fasting. The goal is the heart. The subject is fasting. The goal is the heart. And the reason we know this, because for the third time in three passages, Jesus says the same thing. In one way or another, Jesus says that your giving be done in secret, that your prayer be done in secret now, that your fasting may be done in secret. And every time in these three examples in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says this. He says, for your father who sees in secret. I can't tell you how encouraging I find that statement. I wonder if you do too. For your father who sees in secret. Meaning what? The father sees all things. So loved ones, think now, think now. If the Father sees all things, is there anyone else that matters? If the Father sees my spiritual devotion and fervency, does it matter if you see? Does it matter if the person around me sees? If the Father sees, who else do I care that sees? See, that's what the pure heart understands. The pure heart believes by faith. My father is real. He is watching. He is listening. There's nothing that gets by him. And so if I'm doing it of pure motives and I'm giving and praying and in this case fasting and the father sees, I don't give a rip if you do or not. That's what Jesus is getting after. What does it matter what other people think or say or see? Because the father's sight is what counts. Again, why would I care or need to see others notice I'm fasting when the Father sees it all? And what have we just reached right now? We have just reached a critical moment of wisdom. I hear a phone ringing. Oh, it's, it's for you. The phone's for you and the phone's for me. Wisdom is calling again. I love when wisdom calls. And wisdom is calling right now. This is such a key moment, again, in this message and for our lives at this stage right now. Here's what wisdom is begging for you to understand and begging for me to receive. If my father sees then no one else has to see. Why would I want to find the approval of man when the only thing I ultimately need and care about is the approval of my Father who's in heaven? Think about it. In the end, in the end, the only voice that we want to hear in the end is, well done, good and faithful servant. Said by the Father. The only voice that matters is the voice of the Father who says, well done, good and faithful servant. It doesn't matter what your spouse says at that moment. It doesn't matter what your boss says. Not at all. It doesn't matter what your neighbor says. It doesn't matter what your children say. It doesn't matter what your parents say. It doesn't matter what your friends say. None of those voices count at all in the end. They have no value on eternal things. In the end, the only voice that matters is your father who will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Remember this too, eh? Like when we, when we want the praise of others, the reason we want the praise of others, this is important insight, the reason we want the praise of others because really it's about the love of self. See, we want people to praise us because we love us. And because we love us, we want everyone else to love us in the same way. 
at the root of desiring people's admiration and praise is that we have a worship of self. Think, consider, apply. So here's what Jesus says in verse 17. He's like, instead of drawing attention to yourself when you're fasting with dirt and ash, anoint your head and wash your face. What does that mean? Really, be normal. Because the Jews did that every day. Anoint your head, wash your face, just be normal. Don't stand out. No one has to notice. This is the beauty of the pure heart. You don't need recognition and praise from others. Ask yourself this too. How important is it that others see my piety, my holiness? How important is it that others recognize me? That's a penetrating question we need to sit and ask. Isn't it sad though how we rise with encouragement or plummet in despair depending on the response, humanly speaking, we get or don't? Eh? Isn't, it, isn't it so sad? We rise with encouragement, people are noticing, we plummet in despair, no one notices at all depending on the different responses we get, if we get response or don't get response from people. What do we do? We, we throw out hints to people of how many hours we've worked for Christ. In our conversations, we drop these phrases of our spiritual sacrifice for the Lord Jesus Christ. When we're out and about, we can't resist wearing our badge of suffering or we talking about our extended fast or we highlight and show pictures of how we serve the poor or we boast about our evangelism efforts because really it's not about what happened. We just want people to notice, wow, that guy's so godly. Posting pictures of our missions trips. Not because we want people to celebrate with us, just because we generally want people to notice. See, when we do that, it just, it, it, it takes the reward completely out. There's no more reward because we've done that for ourselves, not for the Lord Jesus Christ. God help us. God help us and search us. See, this is when, when we tell ourselves, when we're tempted to do that, right? We're tempted to enter into a conversation, praise to self, God sees. My father sees. He knows. And if he knows, who cares? Like if he knows, it doesn't care, I don't care anything else. It's so powerful to do that. It's so wonderful to do that. All right, I've always loved 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, for at the proper time he will exalt you. Right? If you do not give up, if you do not grow weary. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. At the proper time, he, at the right time, he will exalt. It's so freeing. God exalts, not man. God exalts. Father sees, the Father exalts. There's no need in trying to waste energy pleasing people or gaining people's praise. So the false heart leads to false fasting. The pure heart leads to genuine godliness. Thirdly and finally, the father rejects what is fake, but he rewards what is real. Again, this example of fasting is the third of three examples given in chapter six. And each example, Jesus is crystal clear. Church, the, the fake impure heart will receive zero reward from the father, but the pure heart with true motives, is promised reward from the Father. Again, verse 18, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. If you go back up to verse 16, he said, truly I say to you, they have received their reward, which is on this earth, which adds up to nothing. So this should be great encouragement and incentive for all of us right here. Listen, don't, don't ignore this. Seeking the praise of humans ends up in zero reward. Seeking the honor and praise of the Lord or praising him with what we do is guaranteed to be a heavenly reward. 
Again, Jesus repeats himself identically three times here. That's very, very important because it's very important to the heart of Jesus Christ. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Just end with this parable. It's very fitting and and it ties so well with the rest of the passage. Luke 18, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee rises up. He rises up. He stands up in a prominent position and he says, Father, I thank you. I thank you. I'm not like other men. Bad start, bro. Bad start. Especially this tax collector in the corner. He says, I give tithes. I fast twice a week. I am awesome. That was my added into the text, okay? That's what he's saying. I fast, I give, I'm awesome. And then you have the tax collector who's off in the corner by himself. He won't even look to heaven, the text says. He won't even look to heaven. He beats his breast and all he can say in his brokenness is, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus tells that parable and he says, which one went home justified. It wasn't the guy fasting twice a week and standing up proclaiming how great he was. The one who went home justified was the humble, broken man by himself, couldn't even look up to heaven, begging God for mercy. And the end of that parable, Jesus says, and the pride will be humbled and the humble will be exalted. And Jesus, again, Heart on the table today. He is so much looking for the heart. He cares about the heart. Loved ones, fasting is the subject. The heart is the goal. Where are our hearts today? Hey, can you imagine if all of us took this message seriously with our hearts on the table and repented? Can you imagine the impact of that? if we all took a call to repentance so seriously today and we cleansed ourselves ready to be used for the Lord Jesus Christ? That's pretty exciting. The humble say, absolutely. The proud say, "Mm, maybe later. Please, Lord. Please, Lord. Give us the gift of seeing ourselves the way we truly are. To see Jesus for how awesome he truly is. Let's just be quiet right now. Let's just bow our heads. Let's just be quiet. Let's just be still. Worship team, you can come up. I was just thinking of Psalm 139. Search my heart, O God. Try me and know me. And see if there be any grievous way within me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Holy Spirit, would you do that right now? to each of our hearts. Try us. Search us. You know us. Reveal to us, Lord, the sin that has been blocking your power, your love, your affection, our joy, your fruit. Shine your light, I pray you have already, on self-righteousness especially and self-glory particularly and self-promotion, Lord, especially. Forgive us, forgive us, Lord. Forgive us our sins. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us.
I'll just give you 30 seconds, maybe a minute, just between you and the Lord, just before we respond in song. Take this time now. What do you say to the Lord?